Welcome to the Get Heard with Ian Roth podcast, where it is our mission to enable leaders to effectively engage and motivate their audience through written and verbal communication. Hey, everybody. How's it going? It's Ian with the Get Heard podcast. Today's guest, Travis Arnold, had a career in law enforcement and was a D.A.R.E. officer. So for those of us as children who remember the D.A.R.E. program, Travis was frequently standing up in front of groups of fifth grade students at assemblies. So Travis walks us through some of his public speaking techniques and the episode is called Molding Your Message. So how tailoring your message when speaking to whom you are speaking is extremely important in those folks being able to relate to what you're saying. So I hope you enjoy today's show. Today's guest is Travis Arnold. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Get Heard podcast. I'm here with my guest today, Travis Arnold. How you doing, Travis? I'm doing good, Ian. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, thank you so much for being on the show. And before we get started here, uh, why don't you just tell the audience a little bit about who you are, your background, and what you have going on right now? Sure, Ian. Um, A little bit about myself. Uh, Currently 35, uh, living out in the beautiful state of California, enjoying some uh, fantastic weather and beautiful beaches. Uh, But prior to all of this, I originated from the uh, great state of Wisconsin, born and raised, um, went to the University of Wisconsin, joined the military, um, spent a total of 12 years between active and National Guard, um, went down to southern Arizona as a part of uh, Operation Jumpstart. It was a border patrol mission. And uh, after that, I uh, started off with the Santa Cruz County Sheriff's Office down in Nogales, Arizona, where I worked for 10 years as a law enforcement officer. That's awesome. And what are you doing? What do you have going on now, Travis? Um, So since departing the Sheriff's Office and uh, bringing my family out to California, I now work for a company called Mildef. We're a manufacturer of highly ruggedized computers. Uh, tablets, network equipment, um, and those are sold primarily to DOD entities. Oh, that's awesome. It's cool how your prior experience in military law enforcement, and then you still get to, in a way, give back to that community still producing what you guys are manufacturing. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's it's kind of come full circle. You know, what my one of my last MOSs in the military was working in, Uh, you know, counter-mortar radars with uh, Q36 radar, Um, you know, now fast forward a decade, and I'm now working with the prime contractors and developing, um, you know, the the new laptops that will be going into these uh, Shorad and uh, advanced radar systems. Oh, that is so cool. I always am, my mind is always blown by the crazy cool technology that we have, especially the counter-mortar counterfire stuff that's out there. I mean, I was in Afghanistan last year, just like when we get indirect fire or rocket shot on the base, we're able to tell through our radar system is exactly where that shot was fired from so that we can shoot reactive fire back at that position. It's just crazy to me. Yeah, it was, uh, it was interesting. I mean, we've got uh, probably quite a few years between, you know, your recent deployment versus when I was uh, deployed in Iraq, but, uh, 2004, 2005, um, you know, I was out for OIF two and three 
and you know we would be able to return fire within about eight to 12 seconds of that first um, incoming round being tracked into us. So um, very rarely did they get a second round off before we either had uh, counter artillery fire or the Apaches were, were called in. Yeah, that's awesome. Got to, got to love the ability to do that and defend our troops on the ground. So awesome stuff. And again, I think that's so cool that you get to give back in a way that, you know, is getting that technology out onto the battlefield. So the reason why we kind of are collaborating from our conversation earlier is we both have a shared interest in public speaking and more specifically kind of the preparation of what goes into the work before going out and making a speech and then confidence, the confidence to stand up in front of people, feel good about yourself and kind of project and speak your mind and your thoughts to that audience. So getting into the swing of things here about public speaking, how, how often do you currently, or in the past, how often have you had the opportunity to speak in front of others? You know, I, uh, when I became a law enforcement officer, that was the first time I had ever given any thought to public speaking. Uh, fairly early in my career, I had the opportunity to go and uh, start teaching the D.A.R.E. program. I know, unfortunately, the D.A.R.E. program has kind of dwindled off in the in the recent uh, decade or so, but you know, it was uh, that first time that I was really had the, the spotlight shined on me. And uh, from there, it, it, it almost became natural. Uh, you know, I went to a fantastic training in Salt Lake City, Utah, with a bunch of very seasoned veteran D.A.R.E. officers that have been doing it for some time. And these guys seemed like rock stars. And the confidence and their ability to go and um, take a crowd and just wrap them around their finger was intriguing to me. I, I, I didn't think I would ever have that ability. Um, you know, I, here I was just a standard street cop at the time. And now I'm watching these uh, very seasoned officers uh, show how it's going to be done. And was surprising how just a little bit of preparation and a little boost in confidence completely changed my abilities in public speaking. I remember the D.A.R.E. program very well as my father was a police officer throughout my whole living at home. And I remember getting the t-shirts that he would bring home. So it's a shame that that program has fallen by the wayside or like you said, or has become a little put on the back burner. But yeah, definitely such a powerful and, and great program. And I remember some of the D.A.R.E. instructors that I had the privilege of, of seeing and hearing speak. And they were, just like you said, absolutely powerful, confident speakers who could just capture and engage a whole room. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, I'll uh, give a shout out to um, this D.A.R.E. officer that still to this day I consider a close friend. His name is uh, Stan Penrod out of Utah. Um, officer Penrod, by far and large, is a celebrity in the D.A.R.E. community. If you go anywhere through the Syracuse, Utah area, and you mention Officer Penrod, everybody will know him. And if you look at him, he, he, he's the exact opposite, you know, physical-wise. He's a small little guy. 
Um, but the image that he presents and his stage presence is the exact opposite. You know, it helps quite a bit that, you know, Dare's taught to fifth grade students. So, you know, they're still young kids at the time. But uh, he has this superhuman persona. And that was something that um, I, I took a lot of influence from was how he was able to uh, just grab that crowd and engage them. And really, I mean, he, the message that he delivered was, was very much scripted. I mean, the D.A.R.E. curriculum tells you exactly how and what you're supposed to teach. But it was his personal style and his confidence that took him from being just a standard D.A.R.E. officer to being somebody that was an incredible presenter. So a question I wanted to ask you, with that being the case, with your audience being, you know, around the fifth grade age demographic kids, what are some techniques or best practices that will enable you or make you feel confident in talking to that group of people about such a sensitive, you know, subject drugs? I mean, it's very, it could be a very difficult subject for one to speak to kids about. So what are, what are some things that were successful? What are some things that were, that he recommended and what things did you find helped you do that? What I liked first off about, you know, using this group as kind of my building platform for public speaking is it's a very unforgiving crowd. Adults, um, I think are fairly sympathetic to the fact that public speaking is a huge fear for a lot of people. They're a little more aged, mature, and have a lot longer attention span than a a fifth grader. A fifth grader, you've got just a little bit of time to get them engaged with it, and you need to keep them engaged that entire time. Uh, But from there, the, the sensitivity of the topic um, it's, it's shocking that a fifth grader, I mean, we think back, we're like, it was so long ago, you know, we're trying to imagine what it was like when we were in fifth grade, but the reality is these kids, they're, they're on track, you know, socially and exposure wise of everything that's going on. So dumbing down the message or trying to keep it at a quote unquote fifth grade level is not even necessary. You engage with them and you converse with them just as if they are a regular a regular adult. Now, you're not going to, you know, you're going to obviously make sure that you're covering all your political correct bases and you're making things that are school appropriate, but um, you're going to, you're going to have a conversation with them. You're going to have this, make it so you're, you're treating them and um, respecting them as they should. And I think that was the, the, the quickest way and the uh, most sure way for you to have uh, good engagement with those fifth graders was just to talk to them like adults. That's a good point. I mean, kids are very unforgiving when you're talking to them and do have a much shorter attention span than adults. So uh, kind of like you said, I suppose if you can speak to and engage with a group of, I don't know, nine-year-olds, and you can do that successfully, I mean, speaking in front of adults has to be a heck of a lot easier. And, you know, you'll have some sort of confidence going into speaking to adults, I'd imagine. Absolutely. You know, I had, I had taught the D.A.R.E. program for about three years. Uh, you know, I taught 
hundreds, if not thousands of classes at that point. I had done uh, probably a couple hundred uh, full-scale assemblies in front of kids. Um, you know, I was well-known in the D.A.R.E. community at that time before I finally had to give my adult-only presentation. And I was extremely nervous going into that situation because that's a completely different audience. Um, you know, my mannerism, my behavior, everything that I was used to, um, or, you know, my style that I was used to for the kids, I was unsure if I wanted to use that as, you know, my image for the adults. And, uh, you know, I, I took a huge gamble with it, that first presentation. And I, I talked to the adults just the same that I talked to the kids. And, you know, I, I, I got off the stage afterwards and I was kicking myself in the butt. I thought, you know, this was a terrible, terrible way to, uh, to do things. But the feedback afterwards was um, definitely reassuring. Um, you know, I had quite a few people come up and say it was a, you know, fantastic presentation. It was lighthearted and engaging. And they, you know, they, they appreciated somebody not going up there and just lecturing or giving up death by PowerPoint. So what are some of the things that you had to change up in your presentation style or speaking style going from the fifth grade audience to the adult audience? Because I mean, just thinking for me, I mean, I, I'm kind of one way. And I guess until you have that first experience where you go from kids to adults without realizing, you know, you, you can act differently and they're, they're different and you need to adjust your behavior accordingly. Um, I would probably that first time just have been the exact same. Like it kind of sounds you were, but so like going forward, what were some of the things that you could do differently or how did you approach the situations differently between the fifth graders and then speaking dare in front of adults? Biggest thing is just how much you can roll up your sleeves in front of the adult audience versus the kids. Um, you know, you don't have to be quite as, sugar-coated with the adults as you do with the kids. Um, whereas, you know, you're not going to want to talk about some of the grotesque and really ugly things with the kids. You can with the adults. So there's this fine line of, um, you know, what's permissible to an adult versus what would be permissible to talk to a kid. But, you know, as a whole, your presentation, your persona, your image, um, that's, that should be you. Not much is going to change between these different crowds. Um, if it does, I think you're going to have some, um, some problems in maintaining those split personalities with it. Uh, things will bleed over. So I think finding a style and finding a... Um, way to present yourself, um, it should be pretty much universal. Um, how you talk to a group of kids, how you talk to a group of civilian adults, or how you talk to a bunch of uh, law enforcement officers or military uh, should be pretty much the same. Now, you can tweak little things here and there, you know, throwing in the military jargon or um, whatever it be to tailor to that specific group. But, you know, your image is you. Yeah, I definitely see where you're coming from there. I mean, just be yourself is what I think I hear you saying. Yeah, absolutely. Be yourself. And then if you continue to be yourself, regardless of who you're talking to, you're able to be more 
confident about who you are and how did, I mean, besides just the repetition of, of speaking in front of these groups over and over again, what made you really become confident in front of these groups of people? When we were uh, doing the DARE officer training, we were given some ridiculous tasks right off of the get-go. You know, day one was go up and stand and talk for two minutes about a random topic. And you would not know what it was until you walked up there and you pulled a card out of a hat. And, you know, I think I ended up having to talk about hair for two minutes. Well, you know, being a military guy, we typically don't keep a lot of hair or know too much about a hair except for you have it buzzed or high and tight. So it was a tough topic for me to be able to, to talk about. The transition from that day versus the end of the training where you give a 45-minute class in front of extremely uh, judgmental and critical peers um, and seeing how that went, uh, that was my big boost in confidence. Now, it's a very unique situation to somebody that's gone through dear officer training. But I think for a lot of people, finding that confidence will be just going out and doing it. That first time will be extremely nerve wracking. It is. It's um, no way to overcome that. It's just starting to accept and realize that, hey, um, I'm in this position because, number one, I've been recognized and selected to be standing there with a microphone. And that's, I think, extremely powerful for a lot of people. Once they realize that, you know, they've got a certain amount of power because of um, what they've done and where they've been, it, it, that should be the, the confidence that they really need. Uh, those are some awesome points, Travis. And when you when you said you had to go out there and give the execute the program in front of all the judgmental people, they were your peers, I'm assuming. Yeah, they were my peers and uh, my classmates. So they, these were people that you know they were the uh, instructors for the Dare program, but also the you know my fellow classmates who were going through that same program. And our jobs as the audience in this was to critique every little detail. Um, you know, you'll develop certain quirks or nuances about your, your speaking ability. You'll hear a lot of people that'll do the ums or the okay, so, or they'll have the, the, these different fillers just to try to uh, fill time. And so anytime you used one of those, you could see everybody start to write down. And, you know, we joked about, you know, the queso being the, the biggest one. And every time that, that, and that was mine, every time that I said queso, everybody would yell at me, cheese, because, you know, I'm a Wisconsin, queso. Yeah, yeah. Wisconsin cheese head. So, you know, they, uh, they definitely made me uh, very, very aware of some of those quirks and those nuances. But yeah, I mean, there was, there were some pretty rough uh, critics there. Besides the filler words, were there any other common themes that, really everybody was doing in some way, shape or form that, that you kind of all told each other about and collectively got better at as the time was going on. Yeah. It's uh, it, it's funny because between the filmed, uh, you know, video TV, um, uh, recordings to live public speaking presentations, 
very rarely do people naturally know what to do with their bodies and their hands during those times. You know, here we are separated by the internet and computer screens, but you can't see what my hands are doing right now. They're all over the place just talking to you here. Um, for some people, that's fine. Uh, other people, it looks awkward. So, you know, your body position, your posture, your movements, your gestures, things like that are important conversationally and, you know, even a little bit culturally, um, these might be fine or appropriate in a professional setting might not be, you know, the, the received the same. I know I speak a lot with my hands too. And as I'm talking to you, I'm happy there's no video for this podcast because my hands are flopping all over the place. So good. I'm, I'm glad we share that because that, uh, a lot of people can take offense to that. I found out in my life so far. You know, uh, having come from the military, I'm sure, you know, and most of our listeners here are probably military affiliated. Uh, the knife hand is something that you just kind of get accustomed to in the military. Um, how that's received on the civilian side uh, is not very well. You know, it's I'm, I'm not used to pointing with one finger. You know, I'm used to doing the, the traditional knife hand. And at first, I, I just had to just straight up forewarn people that, listen, if I'm pointing at you like this, just relax. That's how I do it. Um, you know, it's but yeah, it's 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 a, a big change in culture, not just uh, racial culture, but, you know, our military culture as well, getting into the civilian side of things. Yeah, definitely. And believe it or not, I can tell you that in today's military, today's army, at least in 2020, we as leaders are really shunned for using knife hand because it is so offensive to our younger soldiers. So what a long way the military has come. Well, well, uh, I'm glad I ETS back in 2013 then. We'll save this for another top for another episode. How about that one? Was there anything that you did to plan? I mean, I'm sure you were giving a similar presentation all the time, but what would you what would you do before you went out there in front of the crowd to get yourself ready and make sure that you were on your A game? So the the dear lessons in and of itself, that's simple. You know, you will have your curriculum, you will have um, things that you have to talk about in every one of the presentations. And you would go through and you would make your outline and you would have your um, primary points and your sub points and um, you'd have some points of engagement and interaction. And all of this was delivered to you kind of in this Dear Officer kit. And it was a great guide. But how you constructed that was all on the individual uh, presenter. So going through there and starting to fill in the gaps was one of the things I needed to do for each one of the classes. However, you know, that's just for the class. Now, when you're talking about assemblies or you're talking about public engagements, uh, that's a whole nother thing. You have to do a lot more preparation in those situations. So one of the first things you're going to have to do is have a engagement or a conversation with the event organizer and making sure that you know what the message is going to be about, what they're expecting your message would be about, timeframes, um, who you're going to be following, who's going to follow you, and get a big picture of what you're going to be there for. Uh, that way, as you're starting to prepare, you already have the framework to, to get things ready. 
you know, it's, it's always a tough situation when you find out that, you know, you're going to be the speaker following your uh, supervisor. That's always a tough situation. And, you know, I had it a couple times where, you know, I was the speaker after the sheriff. Well, you know, he's the elected leader of the sheriff's office. Right. And I was the person following him because, you know, I was that pseudo celebrity as the dare officer. And, you know, it was, uh, it was always a little uh, weird, but, you know, it's, it, it came with the territory. You know, I guess it would be, you know, if one of your second lieutenants all of a sudden was, you know, speaking after you. Um, but, you know, starting off with having that initial engagement with the event organizer, um, one of the questions I always like to ask is, why do you want me to talk? What is it that has brought you to me here in this situation? Um, and I think going back to the confidence piece, this will help a lot of people to realize that they're being handed this microphone for a very, very specific reason. There's somebody that has recognized them for their certain abilities or their expertise, and they want them to talk about that. They've already been given a tremendous amount of respect and a certain position of uh, expertise to be able to be in that spot. So the nervousness should be able to die down by knowing that, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm supposed to be here. This is what I've trained for. That Everything that's gone on up to this point is why I'm going to be talking. Definitely. I mean, understanding that you just kind of understanding your worth. Somebody asked me to be here, like you said, so that should make you feel good and give you some confidence right off the bat. I think you're absolutely right there. Yep. And then from there, it's, you know, you can, your preparation for the speech is going to be just as you prepare for anything else. Um, You know, whether it's a, uh, an, an operation order from the military, um, you know, writing an outline for an essay in college, um, you're going to want to create a good, solid outline of what you're going to talk about. But if you go anything further into that, if you start actually writing out verbatim what you're going to talk about, um, I, I would always recommend against that. Um, you know, even if you, you're worried that you're going to lose your, you know, you lose your spot, lose your train of thought. If you write out that word by word, it's it's kind of dooming you at that point because what happens if something deviates? What happens if there's a contingency halfway through that presentation and now you've got this wall of text that you have to filter through? You know, have your bullet points, know what you're going to talk about, have that structured and cut and formatted into the time frame allowed. But that's about all you're going to need is to have, you know, a good, solid outline. I think the majority of the confidence greater, maybe it's just 51% comes from preparation and knowing your stuff and having a deliberate order and way that you want to present everything to the group. So if you just prepare and prepare and prepare, I think you'll automatically be decently confident getting out there in front of people. Yeah, with without a doubt. Um you know, the the scariest thing that you could ever do is walk up without having any preparation for that, because now you're having to have all of those thoughts, all of the, the critical thinking 
while also being presented with a microphone. If that process has already been done and now it's just regurgitation, it's a lot easier. All right. So I, what I just heard you say, which I think is awesome, Travis, is get all of your critical thinking out of the way. Use all of the brain power before your speech so that when you're out there giving the speech, executing what you planned to do, you don't have to have your brain actively creating stuff. You're just doing what you practice so much. And something that might be controversial, but a supervisor of mine in a previous job kind of had the practice of doing, but he would not allow the audience to ask questions when he was in front of a group of people. And his his method behind that was, you know, somebody could throw some oddball question and sure, I'm very, very prepared in what I want to say, but somebody could throw some oddball question that I haven't thought about yet. And I don't want to be on the spot having to to sit there and rack my brain and go through a whole critical thinking stage and, and phase and, and possibly say something I didn't mean to say. So did you, did you ever take questions from the audience during your dare presentations or any other speaking engagements? Oh, I'm glad you brought that up. And that's, that's a, a tremendously good point. Um, I will actually be in 100% agreement and support of your former supervisor in saying that, during the meat and potatoes of your presentation, you should avoid questions at all costs. It's just only going to result in bad things. You want to have engagement with your crowd, but that does not mean having a Q&A session halfway through it. It's just going to derail things and only bad can happen from it. Um, I, especially when you're talking in front of a group of fifth graders, because God forbid you get that kid that raises their hand and says, my mommy and my daddy do this. Uh, holy cow. I mean, it's, you're, you're, you're really opening up a, uh, Pandora's box at that point. Um, you're now going to have to shift from, you know, the regurgitation of your speech to going back to that critical thinking aspect. You know, somebody is either legitimately asking you a question or they might even be challenging your authority at that point. And having that type of an engagement in the middle of the presentation is not good. Um, you look at some of the most uh, notorious uh, public speakers, you know, the press secretary from the White House will never entertain questions during the the, the uh, press releases or the, the announcements. They will always wait until the end. They will answer a few questions and then be done with it. Uh, I think it has to be the same, whether, you know, you're the press secretary or if you're just um, you know, regular John Q. Public making a, a speech at the, the Rotary Club. You have to keep those questions to the end. Definitely. It keeps the flow of your speech going. And just in your press secretary example, pre-selected people are asking those questions. And I would think that the press secretary knows what the questions are going to be before he calls on those people. So again, already put the critical thinking into what the answers are going to be to those questions before so that when the question is is posed to him or her it's just a regurgitation of the answer or 
if it's an oddball question, how often have we seen a press secretary just not answer the question? You know, that's always an option too. Yeah, absolutely. You know, di- divert it, do something so you're not going to sit there and uh, stumble over your own words because that's the quickest way for you to lose credibility. Um, there's nothing wrong with you saying, you know what, I'm going to follow up with you in an email on this. You know, send me an email, send me a, a social media something. But standing there at that moment trying to process the question and the answer is tough. And I think you've seen a lot of blunders from, uh, you know, some political figures in those moments where they've been tossed a question. Now they're off script and whatever came out of their mouth might not have been the best choice of words to use at that time. Definitely. So for everybody listening out there, if you're giving a speech or even if it's not an actual public speech, you're just in front of a group of people talking, it is okay to not take questions. Every time you open the floor up to questions, you open Pandora's box, you don't know what someone is going to say. I mean, I've heard standing in front of my soldiers, really, really stupid things that I was not prepared to answer. And I just had to shake my head and change the subject because it's not something I wanted to to speak about in front of a group of that size. But yes, do not have to have the question, the, the listeners ask questions. That's a great point, Travis. And, and I'm happy you brought that up. That's something I never really thought about much before, but I'm glad you brought it up. So that that's wrapping up most of the questions and topics I wanted to touch upon with you here, Travis. Is there anything else that you wanted to make sure that we mentioned to the listeners, some things that we haven't talked about yet? You know, I've, I've mentioned uh, engagement with the crowd a couple times. Um, you know, it's very, very important that the crowd does feel a certain attachment to the presenter. Um, you know, you and I have both sat through death by PowerPoint, and there is no point and no purpose for somebody to stand up on a stage with a PowerPoint presentation and just read word for word what's on that screen. If that's the case, dismiss me, send me a copy of the PowerPoint slides via email and I'll read it on my own time. What you need to be able to do in this public speaking presentation is engage with the crowd, give them your personal insight, your perspectives, and your style and touch to that message, that's when you're going to be having some meaningful engagements. Utilize your multimedia sparingly and appropriately. Um, Be very, very sure to, I don't want to say not use videos because they can have some benefit, but make sure that they're appropriate for the right crowd and have something to do with your message. I've gone through enough classes uh, on the law enforcement side of things where it starts off with, you know, 15 minutes of car chase videos that, you know, we've probably all seen before. Uh, But it was just used as a multimedia filler uh, for their presentation. So use them when they're right and when they're appropriate. But, you know, at the end of the day, tech has to augment the presentation. Uh, The presentation should not augment the tech. 
I'm so glad you used the word augment because I just wrote that in my notes two seconds before you said it. So that's an awesome point. The visuals are there to aid and enhance, not drive the presentation or drive the content that you're putting out. They should be a visual aid should be that an aid, just like you said. And I hate it, Travis. I hate it when people are standing in front of a PowerPoint and are reading me the slides. I mean, I just want to get up slam my chair in so the person knows what I'm doing and leave when people do that. I can't stand it. Absolutely. And I think my final thing would be unless you're at a podium with a bunch of microphones, get away from the podium. Uh, the podium is really only good for the, the microphone stand. Um, I think a lot of people really find that podium to be um, almost like a crutch, a safety device or a safety mechanism for them to hold on to for dear life while they're giving their presentation. And it creates a like a psychological barrier between the presenter and the crowd. Once you step away from the podium, your body um, posture and your uh, body actions are all going to be visible. So be mindful of what you're doing. Definitely. And I found being able to walk around or at least move a little bit eases a lot of my nerves too. instead of just standing there behind a podium, kind of statue still and locked up. So yeah, if you're able to walk around, it'll, in my opinion, help loosen you up and make you more comfortable. So step away from it, relax. You know, you've been invited to that point. The hard part's over. Have some fun while you're up on stage. Definitely have fun. And the more fun that you have, the more your audience can see that, the more engaging that the experience will be for them. And just, they will be actively listening to what you're saying. So Travis, thank you so much for being on the show tonight. Really appreciate you taking the time. And again, thank you for all your law enforcement service and military service. Thank you so much, man. And thanks for being on the show. Thank you, Ian. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Get Heard Podcast. If you are a frequent listener, I want to say thank you so much for doing so. I mean, you are the reason why I'm doing this podcast and I'm so grateful that I'm able to get 30 to 45 minutes of your day where you're listening to me and what I think is important to say. So again, thank you so much for listening and it would be super, super awesome if you could kind of go the next step beyond just listening and leaving me a review in Apple Podcasts or Spotify or Stitcher, whatever podcast platform you use to listen to this show, please leave a review. Would absolutely love to get as many reviews as possible, one star, five star, whatever you think is appropriate, just to help spread the message of this show and what I'm trying to do. So please, in the meantime, follow me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Instagram. And if you have any questions, you can find me at getherdpodcast.com and at ian at getherdpodcast.com. Thank you so much again for listening, and I'll see you next time.